1975, Steven Spielberg shocked audiences when he promised them that they would never go in the water again. But with the release of the hit film Jaws, beach lovers around the world did just that. Even though fear of shark attacks was at an all-time high after audiences saw the 20, 25-footer, lifeless eyes, black eyes like a doll's eyes. But what if I told you that the real-life events that inspired the horror classic were not only more terrifying, but even more gruesome than Spielberg could have ever imagined? Well, I hope you're not going swimming anytime soon, because today we're talking about the 1916 Jersey Shore shark attacks that not only inspired the movie Jaws, but also changed the way we think about sharks forever. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. Now you may be sitting there in your little 21st century brain thinking, uh, yeah, dumbass, sharks are dangerous. But you know what? If you were alive before the summer of 1916, you would have had a very different opinion, okay? Of course, you would also be terrified of polio, think Babe Ruth was a god, and most likely have a best friend named Ruth who's in your book club. You're reading The Secret Garden, but that doesn't matter. Anyways, the point is, you would think sharks are docile, maybe even fearful creatures who would never, ever attack a human. Well, that was until July 1st of that very year, 1916, when 28-year-old Charles Van Sant was vacationing with his family in Beach Haven, New Jersey. While playing with his dog in the water, Charles was shouting and splashing aggressively, thinking at first he was calling for his dog. Bystanders paid Charles no mind. That is until a lifeguard on the scene noticed a shark was attacking him. The lifeguard and a few good Samaritans sprung into action. They were able to reach Charles in time and get him away from the ferocious fish. The men claimed that the shark followed them nearly all the way back to the shore as they pulled the mortally wounded Charles to safety. The flesh from Charles's left leg had been torn completely off above the knee, down to the bone. The men tried their best to slow the bleeding before doctors arrived, but unfortunately, Charles would bleed to death on the front desk of the hotel that he and his family were staying in. Now, as horrible as this was, it was only one, right? And who knows, that guy could have deserved it. Just saying. But seriously, the locals viewed this attack as an unfortunate one-time occurrence at worst. But wouldn't you know it, less than a week after the attack on Charles Van Sant, another young man, also named Charles, would be the next unsuspecting victim. This was July 6th. 27-year-old Charles Bruder was out for a swim, just 130 yards or so off the coast of Spring Lake, New Jersey, which is only 45 miles north of Beach Haven, where Van Sant was attacked. Boaters who were out that day recall Bruder being violently thrashed around in the water as he was screaming, A shark bit me! Bit my legs off! Those were the last words that Charles Bruder said before he passed away from blood loss on his way back to shore in a lifeboat. The shark did a number on Bruder, severing each of his legs before landing the final blow in his stomach that ultimately led him to bleeding out before he was able to make it back to shore. Now, after two fatal shark attacks in one week, the New Jersey coast was starting to take sharks seriously. Underwater netting was placed around popular swimming areas, and the local authorities even had boaters and fishermen out patrolling the waters for sharks. And for a few days, things were quiet but it was about to be a real-life horror movie for the small town of Matawan, New Jersey. 
Matawan is located 30 miles north of Spring Lake and 11 miles inland, and apparently was home to the Matawan Maneater. On the afternoon of July 12, 1916, three boys, ages 11 and 12, were playing together on the bank of the Matawan Creek, which was a somewhat narrow tidal creek that snaked inland from the bay. As the boys played in the water, they noticed something that resembled a large log or an old board slowly floating by them, but thought nothing of it. Until 11-year-old Lester Stillwell told his friends to watch him as he floated downstream on his back. But within seconds, Lester was violently pulled under the murky water. As he screamed in agony, a red cloud of blood was forming in the water around him. Two other children, terrified, not knowing what to do, they ran from the creek to find anyone who could save their friend. The boys had no problem getting the attention of folks in town. Several people jumped into action to save Lester. Like 24-year-old Stanley Fisher, who dove into the water to save the boy's life. But Fisher didn't realize that Lester was already gone. And the shark had turned his attention to the fresh prey that just served itself up. Dropping the boy, the shark violently latched onto Fisher. By now, townsfolk all over the banks of the creek are freaking out. It shreds his right leg to pieces. But with the help of some other brave souls, Fisher is freed and pulled to safety on the shore. But unfortunately, this was 1916, and our medical field wasn't what it is today. And Fisher would pass away from blood loss just a couple hours later at the local hospital. Now to see one shark kill two people in a row, that alone had to be traumatizing. But the shark still wasn't done with the citizens of Matawan. Less than one hour after the attacks on Stillwell and Fisher, and just a couple miles down the creek, 14-year-old Joseph Dunn was swimming with his brother. There the shark would make its final attack when it lunged at Dunn, taking his entire leg in its mouth. Luckily for Dunn, his brother was there who was able to grab a hold of Joseph and keep him from being taken completely under by the Matawan man-eater. His brother was able to hold on just long enough for the shark to briefly release him, allowing for the boys to escape from the murky, bloody waters. Dunn survived his encounter with the Matawan man-eater, but unfortunately, the leg was too damaged from the attack to be saved, and he would lose nearly his entire left leg. Now after three attacks, in one day, in fresh water, less than an hour apart, and one of the victims is a kid? The Matawan residents were beyond terrified. They were outraged. And just like in the film that these attacks would go on to inspire, it was open season. New Jersey had a new stance on sharks, and it was, uh, fuck them. The mayor put up a $100 reward for anyone who killed the man-eating shark. The town put up netting and mesh barriers in the tidal creek in hopes they could trap it. And in true early 20th century fashion, the citizens of Matawan stood on the shores with guns and threw sticks of dynamite into the creek to try and, well, blow that some bitch up! Alas, these well-planned tactics had no effect on stopping the man-eating shark. And with more fear mounting day after day, the town was just about to, uh, about to just cancel swimming. I mean, it's not really that great, right? I mean, you got a bathtub at home, you can get in some water. There's pools, right? There's pools, of course. Come on, who needs the ocean? Why do you need creeks? 
But just two days later, New Jersey was saved from this awful fate. When German-American Michael Schleiser, a taxidermist and lion tamer for Barnum & Bailey Circus, totally not joking, was fishing in his boat near the mouth of the Matawan Creek. Schleiser's boat was then attacked by a seven-and-a-half-foot great white shark. The grizzled animal handler stood his ground while the beast threw itself against the hull, damaging the ship. But in a scene that would put Sheriff Brody himself to shame, the German lion tamer was able to pick up a broken boat oar and stab the shark as it surfaced. The water turned to bright red, and after a few moments, the nearly eight-foot great white was dead. Schleiser was able to hook the shark and tow it back with what little energy he and his rickety boat had left. And once he was back on dry land, the taxidermist lion tamer cut open the belly of his foe and was greeted with roughly 15 pounds of human remains. And for the rest of 1916 at least, New Jersey was shark attack free. The Matawan man-eater had finally been stopped. Before the man-eater was cut open for the world to see, scientists argued over what actually happened to the five people attacked in 1916. Some even speculated at the time that the attacks had been made by a large sea turtle. Had to be a hell of a turtle. Thinking that sharks were mostly deep water predators, much of what was known about them stemmed from an 1891 case where a millionaire offered a $500 reward for a documented case of a shark attacking and killing someone. Since there was never any evidence brought forth at the time, the scientific community assumed that sharks were almost never going to attack humans. There. Some scientists even believed that a 30-foot shark, a 30-foot shark, didn't have the power or jaw strength to snap a human bone. Sheesh, were they wrong. After the attacks of 1916, Robert Murphy, one of the scientists who was originally questioned about the shark attacks when they began, changed his tune entirely saying this about great white sharks, quote, it is evident that even a relatively small white shark weighing two or 300 pounds might readily snap the largest human bones by a jerk of its body after it has already bitten through the flesh, end quote. Even Frederick Lucas, considered to be one of the leading experts in fish at the time, would eventually go on to publicly admit his mistakes in the studies of sharks on the cover of New York Times. The theories remain to this day whether or not this truly was all the actions of one rogue shark or if there were multiple sharks and only one was caught. But whatever the case, the New Jersey shark attacks of 1916 would go on to terrify and remind the world that you have to be careful when you swim with monsters.
If you enjoyed this episode, know that there's a lot more where that came from at Strange and Unexplained wherever you listen to podcasts or patreon.com slash truecrimeguys where you can get access to everything we make at here at TCG Productions. And guys, it was good to be back with you this week. Uh, myself and Andy will be taking turns hosting here on Strange and Unexplained. So I hope you guys like the new format. We will be dropping new videos every single Monday. So be sure to check us out on YouTube as well. Uh, True Crime Guys on YouTube, where you can see these episodes in video version as well with pictures and all that good stuff. And of course, our, our beautiful faces will be on screen as well. So uh, give us a follow at social media at SNU Podcast, at True Crime Guys, wherever you are, truecrimeguys.com for all the links. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next Monday. Until then, just be strange, okay? Just don't be a stranger. See ya.